Today is Tuesday, February 6, 2024. I'm David Berlin. This is the Blockchain Journal Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. And today, my guest is Sham Nagarajan. He is a global partner with IBM Consulting, and he focuses on blockchain, something that IBM calls responsible AI. Right now in the blockchain world, the value of blockchain to artificial intelligence is dominating the conversation. IBM has something to say about it. Sean, thanks very much for joining us here on the Blockchain Journal podcast. David, thank you for the opportunity. Thrilled to be here. It's great to have you here. Last time we spoke, you were in Davos at World Economic Forum in 2023. I'm sorry I missed you this year. Couldn't make it, but uh, I'll be back there next year. Let's talk about artificial intelligence and blockchain. What is IBM's position, or maybe what's your personal position on how uh, blockchain can help artificial intelligence? Well, look, um, AI has been around for 60, 70 years, maybe more. And um, it's gone through a significant evolution. What's the reason why everyone is talking about it now is what can you do with it has changed significantly, right? And it's it's as the the ability to capture um, data, the amount of data that enterprises, individuals generate, and is being able to be captured in different forms of storage and then be used to train these models, as we call it in the AI world, has gone up. Um, it's, it's led to new possibilities. So the relevance of blockchain in the world of AI, um, I would say as these models become more and more intelligent, they need a way to anchor, to be anchored in trust and trusted data is the best way to do that. You know, I've spent the last seven years of my life <clears throat> working on trusted data. Blockchain is a technology that uh, essentially allows trusted data to be um, created in different forms and used within an organization. So in, in artificial intelligence, your the so-called foundational models come from using data sets that um, organizations generate or is available publicly and to be used to train these models, right? And the issue is if you use the wrong set of data to train these models, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So you will start to see um, if, if the data has PII information in it, or if the data is biased, or if the data is actually has copyright information inside it, then it'll all, again, when the model is uh, put to use, queried, then you will see it surface, right? Well, let's, let's back up a little bit because you talked about how you've been working with trusted data for a very long time. Uh, it sounds almost to me like you're implying that there is a risk of data that's not trustworthy or untrusted data. So let's talk a little bit about that. You Trusted data versus untrusted data. What, what types of data would you not trust? Look, um, data is generated everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And data is generated in different forms from devices, from individuals, from organizations, enterprises, transactions, internet, right? And not all data are factual, not all data are relevant. Not all data is actually um, 
in the right form that can be used by other organizations. So mm-hmm. when I specifically say trusted data, one, the data is vetted. Second, the data is free from all the things that I talked about, uh, bias, copyright issues, um, you know, actual consent, which is a huge, huge deal, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I know my uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and as well as my telco provider is capturing data about me and my personal usage. And explicit mm-hmm. consent is a little bit questionable there. You know, I sometimes I don't even know what I'm consenting to because the legal terms aren't that clear. And when AI models use these kind of data to train and uh, capture different weights in their neural networks, then <clears throat> that gets becomes the, the substrate for the future recommendations that the AI model provides. So. When you say trusted data, data that's free from all these issues is, is one. Second. Okay. Okay. So I just want to make sure we have three issues there that you identified. You identified one is the factual basis of the data, the, the accuracy of the data. Number two uh, is the relevance of the data. And number three would be, uh, I think you mentioned data format. You know, is it formatted properly for whatever the application is? And are any sort of uh, transformations required before it can be used for the particular application? Well, I, right? I, I would I would rather, instead of data format, it's actually consented data. Right? Okay. Data that's actually consented by whoever is producing that to be used in, um, I see. in training. Okay. So, okay. so when you step back and say, uh, when you're using these different kind of data sets to train the model, um, mm-hmm. To be able to prove the provenance of where these data came from, right, is so important. And second, mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, um, in the supply chain, software supply chain of AI models, someone creates the data, then someone else actually uses the data to train the models, and create mm-hmm. these foundational models. And from foundational models, then you fine tune it, prompt tune it inject new data sets into it and create a new version that's more domain specific. So now you're crossing boundaries of individual organizations. Now these- Right, you're moving further away from the original data set. That's correct. So you need a way to prove provenance of what you actually use. Now, for various- So so let's just pause there. What you're saying is, is that you move more steps away from the original creation of the data itself any one at any one of those steps you need to check the provenance of the data that whatever that step is working with you need to check that against the original version to make sure that that original version hasn't changed in some way or has been tampered with one is that what you're getting at here well it's not the the original version has been changed i mean we if it's real life data we expect some form of change as it goes along, mm-hmm. but there's always a snapshot that's used, right? In order to train the model. Um, so you're, you're checking that snapshot against, you're checking the, you're checking uh, whatever snapshot that something is working with uh, against the uh, provenance of the snap, of the original snapshot? Uh, look, here's a very simple example, right? Okay. Um, it's about, I, I make a decision based on, say, the LIBOR rates on, um, from the federal 
from the feds on on a particular uh, say uh, a mortgage rate decision, right? Okay. Um, LIBOR rates tend to move, change. Sure. But when I made that decision, I need to make sure at that point that this was the rate that was in the market. Right. That ability to trace back is important to prove and audit and show compliance that this was the reason why this recommendation was made, this decision was, was made. And that's, that's auditability, that's uh, the entire traceability proof. Now, as we talked about, in the supply chain of um, AI models, as you go through multiple organizations, the, the original path or original data gets far removed from where the actual model gets used. So to mm -hmm. be able to trace it, you need something like a blockchain to be able to do that. So uh, let's talk through that. Today, there are plenty of AI applications and models and process or, or you know out there being used in production that uh, blockchain is not connected to in any way shape or form um, and and so I want to come back to the risk Are, I, I think what I'm hearing is is that as you get more at any step of the supply chain and how far away you get from the the data and the model um, you, you have an increasing amount of risk that the data you're working with um, may not reflect the data that was originally entered into the system found its way into the system. Now, today, there's no, uh, well, there are ways you can check that. You can always apply a checksum. People have done that for years when it comes to downloading software. Let's, you know, before we download this executable file, uh, or when we do, let's verify the checksum of that file against the um, checksum that the original author applied to the file when they created it. So that's that's one way to kind of double check the authenticity of the data. Uh, but what it sounds like what you're saying is, is that this is somewhat of similar application, but now blockchain brings some additional level of comfort to all of the different parties along the supply chain that they are working with the correct data? Well, look, as the, actually this, this whole thing changed with Gen AI. Right, Gen AI mm -hmm. allows you to build on top of the work that someone else has already done, and that that right. really changes the game. Um, second thing is, <clears throat> what what just just so our audience understands, what's the difference between AI and generative AI? It's truly about uh, foundational models and large language models. Right. Mm -hmm. in, in traditional AI, there are specific algorithms and you use that to train them, train the models up and um, it, it acts a certain way. Um, mm -hmm. In generative AI, it produces something that is based on a lot of the data that you have, you have trained it on, but is able to create and conjure up new things based on what it has read, right? Are okay. being trained on, so that's that's the you know gen gen AI or generative AI can be applied to tasks like uh, summarization. You know, you call up a call center employee and they, you know, help you with customer service activities. But then mm -hmm. at the end of the activities, 
you know, they can apply generative AI based on your conversation to summarize what was the net net of the entire conversation, right? That's like okay. So so let's go back now. We've got AI. We've got generative AI, which maybe introduces more risk because it sounds like the data could be, uh, you know, kind of morphing into other things as it goes through the supply chain. Let's come back to that one, the checksum question again. So this is all happening in this supply chain of data. Uh, are we essentially, what is it that blockchain brings to this equation uh, versus something as simple as a checksum? How, how, what, what's the big difference of blockchain? Is it the public nature of blockchain? It's there for everybody to see? I'll tell you something that actually was, it's real and it happened recently. Mm -hmm. um, Samsung um, got called out on using OpenAI, um, you know, the Microsoft-backed uh, sure. um, LLM model, and they got called out because some of the content that was put out from it was copyrighted information. And Samsung, you know, there was a, there was a lawsuit uh, aligned around it. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to prove whatever you know, it's, it's okay to use con copyrighted information as long as you have consent from the uh, producer of that material that they give them permission and also they are appropriately compensated for, right? Um, so now we, we talked about LLMs or foundational models moving across multiple organizations. That uh, consent management and as well as that, that copyrighted information um, knowledge gets left out. And as that evolution of the LLM models go across multiple organizations, then the ability to show traceability is where uh, a public blockchain really comes in handy. You talked about checksum, being able to at any point snapshot the data sets and say, hey, this is the snapshot of that data set. It goes into the public place. And therefore, I can issue a certificate of, of uh, 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 you know, trust for this LLM that you won't be sued because you used any copyrighted information. You won't be sued because it has biased information. You can be always be compliant and call out some why the generative AI is making recommendations because the data sets that was used are, are uh, completely traceable and provable. So that's kind of the net net value. Do you need some sort of very sophisticated application layer that lives on top of this to be able to uh, dig back through the chain of events and compare, you know, let, let's say it was like a string of checksums. I'm just kind of using that as a metaphor, but you know, um, all along the way you're, you know, you're establishing um, a new layer of provenance around whatever version of the data it is, however it's morphing because of generative AI. So you have to kind of, um, in the same way that you you got to this endpoint, you have to kind of reverse you know engineer how you got there and take it all the way back to the beginning. Sounds like to me you need a fairly sophisticated application layer just to do the heavy lifting of of that because you can't just take some blockchain explorer and go onto the public blockchain, whichever one you're using to to keep track of all of this for the traceability you're describing and and start clicking around and looking at transactions that's not that's just not scalable well, look, or even doable for a human being so it sounds like you need some kind of layer on top you, of this you right? do need a, a governance or a management layer on top of it that keeps yeah. track okay. of all these different 
you know, uh, hashes and that gets put out in the public chains and the auditability layer. Right. But it's it's not that onerous to build it. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's an extra level of data integrity and governance that it offers to the AI solution. Um, uh-huh. This is the work that we are doing with Casper Labs as a, okay. as a way to build that framework on top of the AI governance uh-huh. layer itself. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be done. It doesn't have to be a particular product, but it can be done for um, any organizations. Public. I can imagine, I can imagine that, that the applications of this larger application framework that we're talking about, not to use, overuse the word application there, Maybe like, you know, there are different different sensitivities in different applications. Like if I took a military application, and we all know that, artific- we've heard this already, artificial intelligence is playing a role on the battlefield where speed is of the essence. Whoever figures out where to target their ballistics first wins. Uh, and that's always been the case on any given battlefield. And, and accurately targeting. Um, if the targeting applications are based on some model and the data has been tampered with, you know, in some way that got worked its way into the supply chain, as you were just talking about, uh, the outcome could be catastrophic. I, I can imagine adversaries, if they know that uh, each other, if they know, if two adversaries know that each other is using AI, there's going to be some amount of espionage going on trying to get into that ai and break it or tamper with it in a way that changes the outcome is so is this a good example of where um hey you know just before the the automatic firing of a weapon takes place you double check to make sure that the data you had that got you to the targeting of that weapon uh you know is indeed the right one is is that i'm just trying to imagine the business logic here somewhere along the line you want to double check that provenance, that authenticity, before you take the next step, is this a good example of well, where that? Look, I, I would tell you the the latency, the network latency at the at the decision of pressing a button to to shoot a particular yeah. target will be too high and probably not the right place for the checks to happen. But mm-hmm. this these kind of checks can can be constructed or built in into the model itself before a model is published. So um, think of a but, but couldn't 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 you have a because of blockchain and how you know you can run rem, multiple you know blockchain is based on lots of nodes right running simultaneously you could have a a node that's essentially a copy even though it's not online or you know as you point out it's possible yeah. look it's it's possible it's not just the network latency I I think um, yeah look if you think about the models they don't really keep a copy of the data itself, but they create these neural networks and weights and, and mm-hmm. uh, almost a tree of how they, they keep the information, right? And that's right. what is, is more important. You wanna, uh, it's not just blockchain, it's standard cybersecurity practices that has to be combined with. So you have to keep the model safe that it's not being tampered with. And as well as the mm-hmm. data proof that's been used to train it in order to make it um, uh, secure and compliant. So the tamper proof that blockchain offers is a good way. In the future, I can see where this, these weightings of the individual models itself can also be 
you uh, put on blockchains where it cannot be tampered with uh, explicitly by any of the um, you know um, uh, hackers or, or threats um, by third state third party actors. Now you, you were talking a little bit about the application layer that you're putting together with Casper Labs. So describe that application layer. What, what what's the sample application that you guys experimented with just to kind of prove well the first thing that the value uh, of what you're talking about the first first application of that was around version controlling look um mm -hmm. third-party risk increases as i told you uh, multiple handoffs across organization so version control of these models when something um a fine-tuning of a particular model at a particular step here's the reality people think oh um, I use someone else's model and then I tune on top of it and then give it to someone else and they use it. Everything is done. It doesn't work that way. When mm -hmm. this, you know, the twice remote model changes, you have to update your model and then the next person has to update their model and it continues on. Right? I'm sorry. When you said it twice changes, you mean the... The, 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 the second person or third person down the chain... They have, the their, yeah, yeah. they have to update their yeah they have to update their model they're, they're going to see the impact because the model model has to adapt to the new new capabilities that's coming through right that the new under the new underlying data model if you take it all the way back to the beginning once that changes it's like a it's like a domino effect that's you have to kind of cascade that through the whole chain that's correct so that's version mm -hmm. control and blockchain is a great way to manage those kind of changes across all these different organizations so that's right. the first place where we're going to start with. Um, we have, I mean, the, the Casper Labs has different plans um, to bring on top of it. The ability to address consent mm -hmm. is a huge, huge deal. So ensuring mm -hmm. that the data that's used to train and the copyrighted materials is actually well um, cataloged and uh, consent managed. Um, another angle on this is especially when you're using the rag patterns <clears throat> for um, rag patterns are used to take large documents and supplement uh, existing large language model to answer specific questions for uh, policies or frameworks within organizations. It's used for healthcare, mm -hmm. customer service is a huge, great uh, application of this, this kind of logic. Um, but to be able to, when you ask a question, to be able to explain where it actually came from is a huge importance. So explainability is a huge application of this. But when you tie this into publicly available, say, analyst reports or uh, specialized documents that are created by individuals, so to be able to attribute it back, again, blockchain is a huge application of it. So another another example that I've always thought of with AI is that uh, today you pointed out very early in this interview on uh, one of the problems with bias in these models, right? Um, there's been, there's plenty, you look at the mainstream media, there are plenty of horror stories about bias in AI and how it's ultimately impacted uh, certain individuals. So, is there a way that AI can be used it right in the algorithm as the AI is making decisions? I mean, AI kind of gets this, you know, when you think about the workflow of AI, 
it encounters a lot of forks in the road. Should, like, should it go left or should it go right? And sometimes it goes left when it should have gone right. Um, can AI be used to trace the, the workflow so that later on somebody can go back and say, okay, what did the AI actually do? Like literally sort of like, you know, the idea of a checkpoint that debuggers use to look at code and see what it's doing. Well, can you use AI to kind of tra track the algorithms to see uh, if they're performing according to expectations? So uh, let, me, let me talk to you about a couple of things here, right? Okay. Um, a model that's trained on a particular data set can be tested for bias. And there are mm -hmm. open source frameworks, there are actually testing frameworks for these from Stanford and a number of other open source organizations. In fact, IBM, along with all these different institutions, uh, um, initiated the AI Alliance, along with uh, Meta and a number of other organizations. And they recommend a number of open source uh, toolings that can actually test and grade your your model for bias and hap, you know, hate, abuse, and profanity, and all those kind of things. So first thing is, before a model actually goes into production, you want the right testing frameworks to be in place, so it tells and tell, uh, it tests and tells you, is does it pass the threshold or does it fail? If it fails, then you have to go back, relook at the data sets, and retrain it. But if it passes, that's great. So you continue on to the next step. Now, well, but but can't that's great if you're the person who's developing the model and implementing the application and the AI and all that. But in situations where you want to keep a public record of what the AI is doing, which I can imagine you might want to keep, uh, so that other people, in a very transparent fashion, can go and look and see what decisions the model has made or is making or how it's working, they can. Right? I, I it just seems to me like that's a, a an opportunity here for blockchain because yeah it is so so that's yeah. where i'm going with this there's a concept called ai fact sheet so when you do the testing it actually gives you a score against all these different metrics that can mm -hmm. actually pub be published to a uh, uh, blockchain now remember nothing is constant there is change that's continually happening you know mm -hmm. as you ask questions or tune the models the model learns and there is drift happening. They call it model drift. And in the model drift, there is a possibility that the bias or hap or these things gets introduced back because if you keep asking bad or profanity driven questions to the model, model is gonna learn from it and it kind of sides towards that. Now, this is where, again, the blockchain-based fact sheets, retesting it, continuous testing, of these frameworks tells you one, there is model drift that, that it's been learning from. Second, also to be able to compare against the previous um, fact sheets that tells you what was his previous score and therefore flag, hey, there's a significant shift. You can either correct it by injecting what you call a synthetic data that adjusts, adjusts for the drift or allow it because it actually is legitimate and it's something that you want to accept in your way of doing business. So, uh, I understand. so blockchain, again, gives you that public view. These fact sheets are incredibly valuable, especially when you want to put out uh, in a regulated mm -hmm. industry to be able to sure. show compliance, auditability and traceability for all these different criteria.
And of course, blockchain's immutability is important there because- Well, that's the reason why I keep insisting there. on public blockchain than private blockchains in these kind of scenarios. So let's just talk about IBM Consulting for a minute because <clears throat> if you're getting involved in this, you know, you talk, you know, your title involves the word responsible AI and blockchain, of course. Uh, are IBM's customers asking for this? Is there a demand in the market for this level of traceability, scrutiny, immutability, transparency, or are, is this really very experimental at this time? Well, uh, let me tell you, right now we are at the phase where everyone is experimenting with AI, right? Everyone mm -hmm. that you talk to, that's great. But people are all struggling to take it into production because they don't have the right governance frameworks and works um, in place. When I say governance, there's really about two parts to it. There's one is the organizational governance. You know, when I say organizational governance, these are the policies, processes, people enablement, training, ethics, and bias policies that you have to have in place to say, hey, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable and the right organizational structure to say, when something goes wrong, who's accountable for it? Who's responsible for, for correcting it? And then the other side of it is, right, the tooling, and this is where we're we talking about um, the continuous testing frameworks, the continuous ability to say whether your model is compliant or not, and the model lifecycle itself to be able to manage it. This mm -hmm. is within our organization. Now, the third level or the one on top of it is bringing in the blockchain layer, right? That that establishes the ability to do auditability, version control across multiple organizations and the likes. So your, your question of is this, um, is the market here or are we just, you know, probing at the ends? In my opinion, I think um, the market is here. It, it, everyone that's experimenting with it has to go into production to see value. And if they want to go into production, they have to address all of these things. And more and more, the multi-organizational um, handoffs is going to become real than just a small, tiny AI product that I thought up and I just want to test it out in the market. So that's going to happen. IBM Consulting's point of view is that we bring in that thought leadership. We have experience doing trusted data as well as AI and AI governance mm -hmm. in the market. And frankly, we have, we eat our own dog food, which means, you know, our own organization builds large AI models. Um, we, we have something called Ask HR that talks about, um, you know, all our HR functions is now delivered through AI, right? So, so we put all the, those practices that we talked about in, in use within our organization and make it real. Yeah, I want to come back to that, uh, the point you made about governance. It seems to me that this is so new that a lot of organizations and enterprises, some of them IBM's customers, maybe don't even know enough to know that they need to be thinking about the governance of the whole thing. There could be departments or some within a company, just the same way lot, if we go back just 10 years or so, where suddenly the IT director or the CIO was out of the loop on a lot of IT decisions that were getting made by uh, departments and divisions across an organization, the same thing could be true here. 
I mean, people could just start using AI without really getting anybody involved in the decision. It sounds to me like a fair amount of education needs to take place that says, hey, guys, full stop, put the brakes on, let's slow down, because there's this whole governance thing you need to be thinking about before you just put AI into production. Well, Would that be? David, you're spot on. That's the reality, because yeah. think of it. Um, you know, when you're talking about copyrights, it's the, it's the chief legal officer. When you're talking about right. uh, regulatory compliance, it's the risk officer. You're talking about consent and, and privacy, it's the privacy officer. And then you're, you're talking about data, it's chief data officer. So you have- but, do they, but do all these personas that you're describing, do they even know enough yeah. uh, to, to, know, to, know, to say, uh, hold on a second, um, guys, can we talk governance a little bit here? This is, because, um, this is why there is an organizational education top-down that needs to happen. And that's what we're yep. trying to bring in. Um, that, that framework, that processy, that policies are more important as much as the tooling and the technology itself. So do you have like a slide deck? Are you the guy who goes into some of these big global enterprises and say, let's talk about governance and you go through like 10 or 15 slides and suddenly everybody has an aha moment. And next thing you know, there's a big conversation going. Is that how it works? Well, I, I, you know, I definitely have a slide deck, but I don't use that that often. It's more about stories and education and right. it starts top down, right? And, and inherently a lot of people understand it but they struggle with operationalizing it. And that's where our experience and our expertise comes in. Okay, well, Sham Nagarajan, the global leader for the blockchain and responsible AI practice at IBM Consulting. I wanna thank you very much for joining us here on the Blockchain Journal podcast. Well, thank you very much, David, for having me back. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, maybe we'll do this again in a year or so. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, so, okay, for anybody who's watching this, by the way, we'll put some QR codes up at the end so that if you want to get in touch with uh, Sean, you'll be able to find them on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera, or I should say X. Also, you'll see a bunch of QR codes for where you can find our content. You can find not only this video and other videos on Blockchain Journal itself, but you can also find us on YouTube. And by the way, all of our video content is repurposed as audio only and available as podcasts on your favorite podcasting platform. Could be Spotify, could be Apple Podcasts. You take your pick. We're on all of them. And so we'll give you all that information at the end here. You can always come back to blockchainjournal.com to find all of our interviews and all of our other technical content, as well as our famous enterprise blockchain adoption tracker, where we keep track of all the big global brands and enterprises and what they're doing with blockchain. So thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you at the next video.